want to ask us to uh, consider a question here. What, what is your goal in life? What are you trying to accomplish? What do you, uh, what do you want to see as a result of, of your days? What do you want to accomplish? Um, I want you to think about that. I don't remember who uh, made this statement, but here it is. If you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. Aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Paul lived a very, very goal-oriented life. Paul was, he was nuts to know Christ and make him known. I mean, he was absolutely sold out. We learned a little bit about that the last couple of weeks. All of his writings give this very clear indication that his life was one all-consuming pursuit to know Jesus and make him known. To know Jesus and make him known. 1 Corinthians nine twenty-four to 27 says this, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. You hear that? I discipline my body. I make it my slave. He is absolutely passionate about being Christ-like. 2 Timothy 4, 6, and 7 says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. You know, I, my heart aches for young people today because all of life revolves around them. Uh, they're sitting and looking at their little screen all day, and all day people are commenting about them, and they're making comments about themselves and commenting about others. And it, they're very ill-equipped anymore um, to handle a lot of the challenges of life. They're very easily overwhelmed. They're easily upset. Um, they're disturbed uh, easily, and so on. Paul talks there in the verses I just read, 2 Timothy 4, 6, and 7, my life is being poured out as a drink offering. I am, I am absolutely pouring it out. I'm throwing it out there. I'm spending it. I'm not trying to save it and protect it and hold on to it. I am going to live my life to the fullest and pour it out for the sake of God, for the sake of his kingdom, and for the sake of the lost. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I've kept the faith. Then in Romans 12, 1a, he says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. (laughs) What? That's really different, isn't it? That's really different. Interesting. Present your bodies and the time and the 
energy and the opportunity that you have as a sacrifice to God. Whoa. That's really more serious than most people I know about this whole Jesus thing, including myself. I find myself really working to have as much comfort and pleasure as I can in life. It's a very natural thing. In fact, I have to fight against that and choose to give, to sacrifice. Now, the more I'm in Christ and with Christ, the more likely that is to happen. But it's not natural. Why is Paul so crazy? Why is he so into this? He's obviously saved. He's going to get to heaven. Why doesn't he lighten up? Paul is not satisfied with simply getting to heaven. Obviously. He's, He's not satisfied. He is on a mission. In 1976, there was a guy by the name of Ronald Wayne. He was given 10% stake in Apple stocks. 1976, this is before it became a thing. He was named in the first partnership agreement for the company. However, two weeks later, after receiving this, he feared that it might be a failing business, and so he sold his shares and made $800. 10% of Apple stock. Today, that stock would be worth $100 billion. He sold it for 800 Listen. His was one of the greatest missed opportunities in the history of the world financially, no doubt about it. But I want to suggest to us this morning that we often miss an even greater opportunity. Because the opportunity that we're going to talk about has impact not only for this life, but for eternity. Truly, an even greater opportunity will be missed by those who fail to persevere in pursuit of our prize in Christ Jesus. We're going to look at Philippians 3, verses 7 to 21. We're going to focus mostly on 7 to 14, but I want to read the, the rest of this chapter here. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ... More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already 
become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. We'll be going through this in a little bit. He says a lot and strings sentence together like nobody else can. We'll go through it in a bit. Brethren, I do, verse 13, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join me in, in, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Dear Jesus, as we continue this study this evening, I plead with you. O Lord, guide my tongue, my thoughts, and open all of our ears to truth. Your truth. I welcome you, Holy Spirit to speak to all of us, encourage, exhort, so that we will be able to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling with which we've been called. We pray this in the all-powerful, holy name of Jesus. Amen. So, I want to challenge us to be a little bit more like Paul. I want to challenge us to truly persevere and truly make a passionate, passionate push for the rest of our days to win the prize that is set out before us. Number one, every believer should persevere and live life in pursuit of the prize. The question is, what is the prize or the goal? Uh, Let's look back at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. So the question is, why did Jesus lay hold of you and me? Why did he go to the great extents that he went to? Why did he suffer? Why did he leave his throne in glory and take on the form of man, 
become a man and suffer at the hands of those he'd created and those he had loved to the point of death on that vicious cross. For what purpose did he do that? Well, we know that he did it because he loved us. But what was he trying to accomplish? Why, number two, did Jesus lay hold of us? Why is it that he paid that great, great price? And then for those of us who he has chosen, he's called us. He's made known to us the beauty of the gospel. He's opened our eyes. He's brought us, drawn us in. He's given us understanding. He sealed us with his Holy Spirit. He's forgiven us of all of our sins. He has adopted us as sons and daughters. He has given us promises that are beautiful and worth way more than what Ronald Wayne missed in the hundred billion that he would have had if he'd have kept his apple stock. Why did Jesus lay hold of us? There's a few different ways to answer this. The first one I want to give is that he took hold of us for eternal communion. He wanted to have fellowship with us, just like he created Adam and Eve for. What was life like when he first created Adam and Eve? He would come and walk with them in the garden. It's what God created us for, to have fellowship, communion with him. It's also to worship God and enjoy him forever. This is the great catechism of the church, is a statement to worship God and enjoy him forever. Another way we could answer this is it is to fulfill the original purpose of our existence. And yet another is to proclaim his excellencies. Look at 1 Peter 2.9. But you, and he's speaking to all of us who are saints, By the way, how many of you here are saints? Most of you have been here for a while and you know. For those of you, I see a few new faces tonight. What we've learned here uh, right from the start in the book of Philippians is everyone who has made that decision to receive the gift of forgiveness through Jesus Christ and has placed faith in him, you're a Christian, you are also a saint. The whole Roman Catholic idea of sainthood where you earn it by living a certain standard for so long, that's not according to Scripture. Paul addresses every believer in the church of Philippi as saints. And that simply means those who are set apart for God, set apart from the world, and set apart unto God. And that's you if you're a Christian. And here it says in 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that, so that, so here it is, we're getting to what he laid hold of us to do. What is our purpose now that he's laid hold of us? It's just to hang out and get to heaven? No, he's, he's redeemed us. To proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are to declare by our lives and by every means possible 
how great and awesome and good God is. That he didn't give us what we deserved, but instead paid such a high price to redeem us. How ungrateful and foolish would it be for us to receive that incredible gift and never say anything about it? Madness. Absolute madness. That's what drove Paul. Paul knew he did not deserve to meet with God Almighty on the road to Damascus. He did not deserve that encounter. He was out killing God's people. He was an arrogant pig. And yet God met him and redeemed him. And that's why Paul wasn't about to waste a moment, a day. He was passionate to proclaim the excellencies of our God. And then the another way of us saying why he took hold of us is to become Christ-like. We are all to be like Jesus. Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, that's all saints, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. God wants this huge family. He wants this huge group. He wants this beautiful bride, the church, filled with souls. But he doesn't want us coming in like we looked when he found us. He doesn't want us that way. He saved us with the express intent to transform us and conform us to the character of Christ. And that doesn't just happen. I wish it did. It is my passion to be like Jesus. And I fail miserably. Quite often. I hate when the enemy brings up some memory of some really ugly boneheaded thing that I did in the past. I hate it. I quickly say, nope, I I won't dwell on that. And I, I move on. But praise God. That's his intention, is to not leave us. He loved us enough where we were at to come and redeem us. But he loves us too much to leave us like we were when he found us. Amen? So, every believer should persevere and live life in the pursuit of that prize. Number three. So this is our pursuit now, becoming Christ-like and obtaining the prize. And number three, becoming Christ-like, obtaining the prize requires deliberate action. Very deliberate, specific action. We will not be transformed into Christ's likeness by just hoping it happens. It won't just happen because we come to church once a week or even twice a week. Do you remember what the early church did what their lives were like. They were together every day 
all day studying the word, fellowshipping, worshiping, and celebrating communion, remembering the death of Christ. Every day, all day. They sold all their possessions and lived in a commune type thing. Wow. That's what the original church was like. We are so far removed from that. So far removed. And we wonder why we struggle to be transformed. And I'm not calling for us tonight to form a commune. But I sure am calling us and I believe Christ is calling us to put way more deliberate action toward this whole transformation in pursuit of this prize. Philippians 3.12 says, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. And this is Paul speaking. This is Paul who's been shipwrecked and beaten and all these other things because he's preaching Christ. But he says, I haven't obtained it already. I haven't become perfect already, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ. He says, That's what it's, this is what my life is now. I am doing everything I can to take hold of the fullness of why he redeemed me. I want to be like Jesus. I want to win the prize of being like Jesus and declaring his glory, living his glory with my life. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, I want to read again. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we do it to receive an imperishable wreath. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body. I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. It was not an option for him to lose this race, to lose this prize. And he talks to all of us as if we are in a race. Do you feel like that in your life, that there's something that you really ought to be training for, really going after? There is. And we will miss the opportunity for more joy, more glory, more reward in heaven if we fail to choose deliberate actions to see this happen in our lives. Now, I want to remind us that this transformation happens by the power of God. But that should give us encouragement, not cause us to sit back and say, well, he's going to do it, because he does it in cooperation with us. But you can be sure if you pursue him, if you seek him, you will find him. Knock, it will be opened. Ask, it will be given. He's talking about this. He's talking about being like him. He's talking about pursuing the prize when he says those things. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. 
And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Once again, this does not just happen. I, I am so thankful to have gotten reconnected with JBC and, and Pastor D. I got connected with him when I first started ministry decades ago. And boy, his whole discipleship thing was so exciting and it's what I used early in ministry. But over time, I lost sight of how crucial it was to make those things uh, the highest priority in life. The basic disciplines of the Christian life. And I wasn't out killing people, and but I, but I lost sight, and I wasn't making the ground that I had been making early on in my life. And I'm back, and I'm so excited that God reminded me of how crucial this is. This is life. This makes life worthwhile to pursue with all of our heart with all of our soul, with all of our might, the prize, Christ-likeness. Number four, becoming Christ-like, obtaining the prize requires humility. (laughs) If you don't even think you need something, you won't pursue it. Philippians 3.12 again, not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Then in 1 Peter 5, 5 to 7, Peter says, You younger men likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The poor in spirit, they will be filled. The principle of God, he hates pride. Why? Because it's silly for any of, you, any of us no matter how accomplished you are, no matter how far you've gone in becoming Christ-like, none of us have anything to brag about because anything that does get accomplished is only with his great power and assistance. He is the one who transforms us. We just get there quicker when we cooperate, when we pursue him. But even then, all glory, all honor belong to him. Amen? Humility. First Peter 5, 5 to 7 again, uh, verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Excuse me. Number five, becoming Christ-like, 
Obtaining the prize requires releasing the past. It requires releasing the past. If we're going to really make ground and become like Christ, we can't dwell in the past, whether our past was great or or poor. There's much more to be done. Philippians 3.13 says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. A, we cannot allow past failures and sins to define and limit us. You know, I, I got real discouraged in ministry. I had pastored for 27 years. And, uh, and 12 years ago, I, I was worn out emotionally. And I, I had to step back. I had to withdraw and just rest from the challenges of ministry. And I felt like a failure. And in some ways, I had failed. I had failed to be really careful and, and um, consistent, specific in my pursuit. And I was running on my own efforts and energy. And it just doesn't work. And for a while, I was tempted to just let it go. And I did need some time to, to heal and recover and get my act together again in his presence. But it would have been a shame for me to just settle. Say, well, I, I had my time. I did my thing. Saw some real productive days. He saw some real fruitful days. And just settle for that and live out the rest of my days. I am so excited that God has seen fit to call me back to ministry. Whatever that looks like in the future, that's up to him. But I am thrilled that he's been patient with me. And I am excited to have learned from those past failures and mistakes. But not allow them to keep me from moving ahead. And we all need that. We cannot allow past failures and sins to define and limit us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. And B, we also must not rest on past successes and accomplishments. Even if you might have done some really successful, profitable things. As a follower of Christ, you may be a really good man, woman of God. It's never time to settle until we finish the, cross the finish line. And the finish line is not just when we get to a certain age. The finish line is when we go home, when he calls us to heaven. Until then, I believe we ought to be pursuing the prize with all our might. It's my personal intent to finish really strong, to finish as well as I possibly can by his grace to seek him. Philippians 3, 7 says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Again, that's Paul speaking. Number six, becoming Christ-like Obtaining the prize requires deliberate pursuit of basic 
Christian disciplines regardless of what we face. By basic Christian disciplines, I'm talking about being in the word, knowing the word. I'm talking about spending time with the king in prayer, meditating on his word. Philippians 3.13 says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8 says, But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. I have, uh, part of my personal goals is, is uh, to be healthy, uh, and I am riding my bike and uh, really seeing some benefit from that. But I tell you what, if it's between being in the Word or getting physical exercise, I'm going to be in the Word. I'm going to be with God. I'm going to be in His presence. In fact, when I'm on the bike, I'm listening to sermons. I'm, I'm worshiping. I'm seeking Him. And that physical stuff is valuable and important. But it doesn't even come close to pursuing godliness and Christ-likeness. Number seven, becoming Christ-like, obtaining the prize requires deliberate perseverance. Again, verse 14 of Philippians 3, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on. I press on. I don't know if any of you have tried to run um, any distances. When I was in college, I, I uh, chose to run in a 10K race in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And, uh, and I'm partway through the race, and I'm, I'm really doing well, uh, having a good time. Uh, it's not that I was trying to win the thing. It was more of a fun deal. Partway through the race, they had a marching band, one of the local high school marching bands, and they were playing a, 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 a tune by Earth, Wind, and Fire, which was one of my favorite groups back then. And, and so I, being a crazy young college guy, I danced my way through that section uh, to the tune as I was in the middle of this race, which was really fun, and a lot of people laughed and said, look at that guy. But um, I tell you what, a little ways down the road, I was sucking wind. Uh, that really messed with the, uh, uh, my cardio trying to finish that race. And I had to press on. I had to just force myself, come on, try and keep up with the guys. Go, go, go. Look at Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. It says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. What is that talking about? I'll tell you what that is. That's all the saints that have gone before It's like there's a huge stadium in heaven, but they can see through the bottom of this stadium. They're looking down on you and I as we're running this race. And they're saying, hang in there. Go, go. And they're cheering. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us 
And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It's a, it's a challenge, this running this race. There are times when I would prefer to just be selfish and just do my own thing, just sit and watch something. And there's a time for that. But there's not a lot of time for that, not really, if we really want to get the prize and get like Jesus. I love the example that Jesus gave. It's recorded in Luke that as his ministry was just about finished and it was time for him to head to Jerusalem and he knows what's coming, the crucifixion, that whole brutal thing is just around the corner. And in Luke it says, and he set his face resolutely to go to Jerusalem. Can I tell you, there are times when pursuing this there's times when it's an absolute joy and delight in the presence of God but there's other times when it's work just like anything anything that you want to accomplish in life that's really valuable will require effort pain sacrifice so it is with this that's why we're told we've got to persevere we've got to press on and it's a long distance race Number eight, becoming Christ-like. Obtaining the prize requires a refusal to compromise. Verses 15 and 16 say, Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. By the way, by perfect, either Paul was teasing the Pharisees and Sadducees, or he's speaking to us as those who are in Christ, perfected in Christ. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which you have attained. Listen, there is a standard that we ought to be living by. Now, this standard can apply to two things. We know, those of you that have been here the last number of weeks, Paul addressed the Philippian church because he was really concerned that people were coming in trying to deceive them into pursuing salvation by works. Remember that? And we must never go from the standard of by grace through faith. We should never lose that. That is always the standard. We must always keep that. It's never by works that we gain salvation. But he's also, I believe, speaking in regard to how we live our lives. Look at Galatians six fourteen to 16. It says, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of, of Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation. And those who walk 
will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. So that's talking about the law and legalism. But the standard also applies to the way we walk as believers. Look, I'm going to read now the 15 verses of Ephesians 5, and that's how we're going to close our time. Ephesians 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality and any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, excuse me, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, arise from the dead, And Christ will shine upon you. And I want to encourage you tonight, if this word has spoken to you and you feel like, boy, I've really not been on the, I've not been pursuing this. Wake up. It's not too late. This is your call. That's why you're here tonight, because he's wanting to challenge you and call you and plead with you. Come on, let's get back at it. Let's do this. Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Brothers and sisters, let us not grow weary in pursuit of his upward call and the glorious prize that awaits. Let's take deliberate action. Let's keep our heads and embrace humility. Let's forget the past and take purposeful action to reach forward. Let's dig in our heels, resolve in our hearts and minds to persevere no matter what. Never give up on this pursuit, brother. Sister, if you've failed for a time, that's why you're here tonight. He's calling you back. Get back at it. Don't let the enemy shame you and keep you away. Just pick up now. And get back at it. And let's refuse to compromise. Keep the standards of holiness unto the Lord. Lord Jesus, we bow before you. And oh, oh, how grateful I am that you laid hold of me. And I am grateful that you laid hold of each person in this room.
And I pray, O oh Lord, that we would not waste the rest of our days, but that your word for us would strike deep in our hearts and cause us not just to be a little bit emotional tonight, but to be determined to humble ourselves before you and call upon you for your strength and your help and your mercy to, uh, to get back at this pursuit. We want to be like you. We want to win the prize. We want to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. We do not want to miss this grandest of all opportunities for any human being. So help us, Jesus, we pray in your holy, all-powerful name. Amen.